Africa rise and shine Africa tsota Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on double one nine two five kilohertz on the 25 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Luhoko and Neto Chimani. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, South Africa remains hopeful that elections in Nigeria will proceed smoothly and South Africa's ruling ANC to finalise vetting process for election list. In economics news, South Africa's finance minister, Tito Mboweni, to present his maiden budget speech today. And in sports news, England hopes to end decades of cricket World Cup disappointment. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. South Africa's International Relations Minister Lindwe Sisulu says the country is hopeful that elections will run smoothly in Nigeria this Saturday. This often, Nigeria's Electoral Commission postponed elections five hours before polling stations were due to open last weekend. Some Nigerians have expressed disappointment with political parties, blaming each other for the postponement. But South Africa's International Relations Minister Lindwe Sisulu says... While there may be concerns, this is not the first time Nigeria has changed the election date. There is absolutely nothing unusual about a postponement of an election. It has happened in Nigeria before, and uh, it was held a month after it had been uh, built to happen, and um, there was nothing untoward. The president of Nigeria did indicate that he was only informed uh, when there were glitches, Meanwhile, Nigeria's Electoral Commission has called on politicians to moderate their rhetoric ahead of Saturday's presidential election. The commission called for calm as both President Muhammadu Buhari and the opposition's Atiku Abubakar have become more aggressive in their tone following the postponement of the election. Presidential and parliamentary elections were called off just hours before polling on Saturday, with logistical difficulties blamed for the distribution of materials. In Benin, the opposition has called on President Patrice to amend the country's electoral code before legislative elections in April. The opposition has denounced the complexity of procedures to submit files for candidates. It accuses the government of organizing a farce and called for an immediate meeting of the political class to review electoral laws. The Benin's government has downplayed the accusations. Some 5 million voters will head to the polls on the 28th of April to elect members of the National Assembly. The Yemeni government forces and Houthi rebels could start to withdraw from the port city of Odeida within 24 hours. This according to the United Nations. The Iran-aligned Houthi movement and the Saudi-backed government agreed at talks in December to withdraw troops from the Red Sea city and a truce aimed at averting a full-scale assault on the port and paving the way for negotiations to end the four-year war. The BBC's Luz Doucette reports. 
In recent weeks, fears have grown that a rare truce would collapse around the port city of Hudeida, a vital lifeline in a country on the brink of famine. Now the UN envoy, Martin Griffiths, expects the warring parties to start redeploying their forces, as agreed, from around Hudeida within the next day or two. This pullback would, he hoped, finally allow the UN to gain access to the Red Sea Mills, a granary with enough wheat to feed nearly four million Yemenis for a month. And finally, U.S. President Donald Trump's administration plans to launch a global campaign to end the criminalization of homosexuality in dozens of countries where it's still illegal. United States Ambassador to Germany and the highest-profile gay official in the Trump administration, Richard Grenell, will lead the effort. Sean Bricepiece reports. It's unclear what the genesis of the strategy is, but reports suggest it was partly conceived as a response to the reported execution of a young gay man in Iran, a country that remains a top geopolitical foe of the Trump administration. The campaign will therefore be narrowly focused on criminalization rather than broader LGBTQ concerns around marriage as one example. Officials say the administration will likely work with global organizations like the United Nations, the European Union and others, and like-minded countries whose laws already allow for gay rights. The campaign will likely also place close Trump allies in the spotlight, particularly in the Middle East. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Channel Africa. Kulta njoi Addis Ababa. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Janowel Bamwesi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. Informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. And I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. South Africa's International Relations and Cooperations Minister Lindiwe Sisulu says South Africa is hopeful that elections will run smoothly in Nigeria this coming Saturday. This comes after the Electoral Commission in that country postponed the election five hours before polling stations were due to open last weekend. Nigerians have expressed disappointment with political parties who are blaming each other for the postponement. Abongile Dumako reports. It is business as usual in Nigeria, but there is still no clear explanation of why the elections were postponed. Candidates were again allowed to campaign. The elections will take place this Saturday. Yakubu Mahmoud is the chairperson of the Independent Electoral Commission in Nigeria. The one-week adjustment was a painful one for INEC, but necessary in the overall interest of our democracy. Nigerians will recall that when this commission was appointed in November 2015, we promised Nigerians two cardinal things. First, we shall work hard 
to consolidate the improvements made in the management of elections in Nigeria since 2011. Secondly, we shall always be open, transparent and responsive. South Africa says while there may be concerns, this is not the first time the country has had to change election date. Minister of International Relations and Cooperation is Lindy Wessis-Sulu. There is absolutely nothing unusual about a postponement of an election. Uh, It has happened in Nigeria before and uh, it was held a month after it had been uh, built to happen and um, there was nothing untoward. Uh, The president of Nigeria did indicate that he was only informed uh, when there were glitches. The international community is monitoring the situation in Nigeria with keen interest. Meanwhile, the continent will see 15 countries head to the ballot box this year. Senegal, also in West Africa, will go to the polls this weekend. South Africa will go to the polls in May. And Minister Sisulu says all South African diplomatic missions abroad are prepared for the elections. I'm Abongile Dumago in Johannesburg. South Africa's ruling African National Congress will today finalize the vetting process of party members who will be deployed to Parliament after the 2019 national elections. The vetting process might uncover that some did not meet the necessary criteria. The governing party says the 200 names will then be submitted to the IEC after the Integrity Commission has cleared them and the National Executive Committee has given their approval. Ndebo Mokobo reports. With the 2019 national election set for the 8th of May, political parties are expected to submit their list of candidates to the IEC before the deadline still to be set. This will be done following the proclamation of the election date by President Cyril Ramaphosa. And for now, the ANC is the country's largest party is racing against time to have its 200 names for parliament ready before the cut-off time. After a daunting task of sifting through the national and nine provincial list, the party will finalize its vetting process on Wednesday, as the ANC acting spokesperson Dagota Lehuete explains. By tomorrow Wednesday, we are finalizing our vetting process of all our candidates for provincial lists as well as the national lists. Immediately after that, we will then be left with the last stage, which will be for members to accept or decline nomination. Then from there, we are going to register our list with the IEC, of which the IEC as an authority that runs election will publish our list. In case there are issues of ethics and morality from the side of the ANC, as directed by the 54th National Conference, an integrity commission was appointed. That integrity commission has got terms and reference so if there are issues of morality or integrity that is the best committee to deal with it but not the national executive committee but even as it prepares for the poll the governing party must deal with issues likely to impact on its reputation on bosasa lehuete did not deny that the anc benefited from the company or what is now known as african global operations this even as the special investigative unit found the company had been fingered in irregularity having been awarded millions of rents in tenders from government departments but Lehuita would not be drawn into whether the ANC will consider paying back the money it received. Look, we will not deny that Bosasa might have been one of the companies that has donated to the African National Congress. It's a practice now in our country that political parties would request and get funding from private enterprises. And Bosasa cannot be isolated because it's the same even with the opposition parties that they do get assistance from individual enterprises. And and that has been the practice. But as the ANC, would we be tempted to pay back the money? Look, that is not for my decision for now. I don't have a mandate to say we'll return the money. And if it has to be so, it must apply across the board. And with the possible closure of Bosasa, the ANC says this will affect workers who are not even responsible for the company's woes.
The decision to liquidate the company stems from the decision of some banks to disassociate themselves from the company, citing reputational damage. Lehuete says workers should not be punished for the employer's problems. He has called on potential investors who can help save workers from possible retrenchments at the current African global operations. We are concerned on the developments in Bosasa, particularly the one of liquidation. All of us know that when we talk liquidations, we talk a complete collapse of an institution. So a complete collapse of Bosasa will lead to job retrenchment. And we know the workers, unfortunately, they have not created a situation that is in Bosasa. There's a situation that was created by poor governance, we feel for the workers is the African National Congress. And I think if there's a company or any other enterprise that would want to take over this company so that they can save jobs, so be it. And we'd also want to encourage and lobby our banks that when it comes to workers' salaries, can they act as banks to ensure that those workers who have worked for that company and their salary. That report by Ntebo Mukobo. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Again, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Again. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Yeah. The financial assistance to South Africa's power utility ESCOM is expected to take centre stage when Finance Minister Ditumboweni tables this year's national budget in Parliament later today. The question is, where is the money going to come from, considering that the national fiscus is already under pressure and its implications on the expenditure ceiling? Lula Mamakia reports from Cape Town. Load shedding, unhealthy balance sheet are just some of the challenges facing ESCOM. This year, the power utility has applied for tariff increases, totaling 56% over the next three years. Experts believe that there's no escaping government having to bail out ESCOM again. Rashad Amra from the Parliamentary Budget Office says if government is unable to make space Within the current allocation, this will grow the national debt even further. What we have to uh, look out for tomorrow is whether the fiscal pressures emanating from ESCOM's financial situation have an impact on the expenditure ceiling. Uh, And if government attempts to maintain or or, or maintains the expenditure ceiling, uh, where will the additional resources be made available from? The DA and UDM says Boweni has very limited room to manoeuvre. The parties believe that the minister is facing the biggest financial crisis in the country. These parties say it's going to be interesting to see how the minister is going to deal with funding ESCOM and other ailing state enterprises while keeping financial discipline. UDM Chief Whip Ngabayom Zikwangwa and DA Spokesperson on Finance, Alflis. Nothing, nothing is more of a threat to the South African economy than Eskom right now. There's nothing. And so that is going to be the key thing that, that Mboweni is going to have to deal with. We've listed a long list of 
possible action steps that we think should be taken with ESKIM in order to, to minimize the cost to the taxpayer. So whilst we expect ESKIM to, to, to be the central on the stage, we won't see SAA, SABC being ignored. They are both going to be dealt with in the budget because, sadly, there's no political will to do the right thing with either. That we expect to, to hear from the minister is how his government intends to deal firstly with the ESCOM crisis and the general state of SOEs, where the funding will be found to be able to address some of the financial constraints faced by SOEs, but at the same time ensuring that they embark on a fiscal consolidation program, a proper one. The ANC shares these sentiments. Chairperson of the Finance Committee, Eunice Karim, elaborates. The key issue is how much we're given to ESCOM and on what terms. And where will this money come from? Now, even though it's in the interest of the poor that ESCOM performs, the budget for pro-poor programs cannot be reduced. The focus should be rather on non-priority programs. And we'll need to know, of course, the overall strategy to turn around ESCOM, of which any budgetary allocation, as the President indicated, will only be a mere part. Both the IFP and ACDP say the Minister must bring relief to the overburdened taxpayers and not raise taxes, except syntaxes. They say he must cut government expenditure, address wasteful and corrupt expenditures. IFP MP Mkule Goshengwa and ACDP MP Steve Swart. We have to reduce our fiscal expenditure. We have to stick to a fiscal consolidation path. It was a great concern to us in October when we saw the budget deficit increasing up to 4%. And in terms of that, then our debt-to-GDP ratio increases up to 55%. This, in turn, means that more money must be spent on servicing our debt levels, and that is the fastest-growing budget item. So the minister is faced with this dilemma. It would serve the minister well to um, downgrade the VAT back to 14%. Um, A reduction would be most welcome, as that would give relief um, to struggling South Africans. A suspension of the fuel levies remains a key priority to ease um, the burdens of which the majority of South Africans are currently faced with. So the minister will be well served to look at tax cuts and tax breaks which will do um, well for the majority of our people, particularly the struggling middle class and the poor. The opposition also warns the minister not to give a populist budget as elections are looming, Lula Mamaya in Parliament. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it's one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1,000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1,000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time.
1000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. It's 8.20 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The South African Institute for Advanced Constitutional, Public Human Rights and International Law, a centre of the University of Johannesburg on Monday, held a summit to explore the question of African refugees and migration and the adequacy of the country's policies and systems. On the agenda at the meeting was whether or not South Africa positively welcomes African refugees. For more on this, we are now joined on the line by Faith Munyati, attorney for refugee and migrants' rights at the Lawyers for Human Rights. Faith, good morning and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Now, first of all, just to clarify, what's the difference between a migrant and a refugee? Okay, so a refugee is somebody who, owing to a well-founded fear, fled persecution um, from his or her country of origin. And the grounds of persecution would have to be either based on his or her religion, nationality, um, membership of a particular social group, um, or political opinion. And a person can also be a refugee if um, owing to external or internal aggression in their country of origin, um, they fled. So if there is war in their country, um, they qualify as a refugee. And the other ground where someone can be a refugee is if they are dependent of refugees. So if somebody's spouse is a refugee or their child is a refugee, then they qualify for refugee status in South Africa. Whereas a migrant, there can be different categories of migrants. Someone could migrate to South Africa for study purposes or for uh, work purposes. Technically, a refugee is a migrant, but the category of migrant they fall under is, um, the definition would be refugee. And therefore, they're governed by the Refugees Act in South Africa, and the other categories of migrants are governed under the Immigration Act. Now, Faith, uh, speak to us about, uh, you know, the question of whether or not South Africa positively welcomes African refugees. So uh, what was interesting in the discussion that we had, um, it depends how you, how you define welcome. Because if you define welcome as allowing refugees into the country, then one could actually say, well, South Africa does welcome refugees in the country. There are a lot of refugees that live in this country. Um, but if if you look um, at it in the sense of integration and what it means to integrate in terms of being able to access uh, services, healthcare services, even access the appropriate documentation in order to live adequately in South Africa, especially because South Africa has an urban refugee model and there are no refugee camps, um, then there could be quite a strong argument to say that, in fact, 
uh, refugees are not adequately welcomed um, in the country. Um, based on based on the fact that a lot of the systems don't cater to their needs. Um, but I think it's important to mention something that one of the speakers uh, stated um, under this umbrella term, welcome, is that a lot of the issues that refugees and asylum seekers are facing are in terms of unemployment and accessing education. Um, these are not unique to refugees and asylum seekers. There are a lot of citizens who are facing um, similar issues, but um, my personal opinion is that there are very serious things that are threatening our constitutional democracy, um, which relates to the manner in which refugees and asylum seekers are treated in South Africa. And on that basis, I would say they are not adequately welcomed in South Africa. Now, speaking of uh, just, uh, you know, the, the, the issue of the word welcome and uh, how it's, you've broken it down, um, the general levels of xenophobic violence and other forms of intolerance towards foreign nationals or refugees, how receptive would you say the country is towards asylum seekers? You've mentioned the issue of access to documentation, um, education, um, health facilities, and somebody can come and, and put a different argument to it to say, um, looking at uh, the pressure that uh, the system in South Africa is under, as South Africa being one of the top 10 refugee receiving countries on the continent, um, you know, pressures on the health system, on um, whether it's, it's uh, you know, employment, uh, where people have come out and complained and, you know, putting out their grievances that uh, foreigners are seemingly um, getting quicker employment compared to the locals you know those are the things that uh, are being grappled with how do you was this tabled and what were the outcomes from this particular question um so that that definitely came out as one of the main issues especially um uh, one of the speakers made a comment to say uh legal organizations such as lawyers for human rights um maybe uh, we're not. We're actually our, our actions are counterproductive because we may seem to, um, we may appear to be pushing the rights of refugees and asylum seekers ahead of uh, citizens, especially when you have, you know, healthcare system that is under pressure. Um, but I, I think what what I will say on on this issue is that, um, especially as you mentioned, xenophobia. Uh, I, I think. The, the reality is South Africa is a country with high unemployment um, and it's across the board and there are high levels of poverty. And a lot of the times uh, non-nationals are scapegoated. Um, but there have been no statistics that actually prove that non-nationals are actually taking the jobs and they are the cause um, of the unemployment. Now, the reality is also that South Africa has international and constitutional obligations. No one compelled the South Af- or forced the South African government to sign into this, but they did. And I think it is um, a serious threat to our constitutional democracy if the government does not adhere to the international and constitutional obligations. And just an example of this is the fact that we get many reports in our law clinics that as- asylum seekers who are properly documented, who go to renew their documentation, um, are informed 
that the application for refugee status in South Africa has been unsuccessful. Now, in terms of the law, the correct procedure is to issue them with a written decision, notify them that they have a certain number of days to depart from the country. But we get many reports of people being arrested on site and for purposes of deportation. Now, I don't think um, just because a system is burdened um, and people and the government is trying to ensure that individuals leave the country instead of remain here undocumented can justify um, violating someone's liberty. And I I think um, no matter uh, what burdens are on the the current South African system, I, I think it's important for the government, whatever their decision moving forward, I think it's important to... Uh, have a, a, an approach that enforces uh, humanity and that is consistent uh, with the Constitution. Um, and it will be interesting to see uh, what the face of migration will look like in South Africa in the next couple of years, particularly with the new uh, changes that um, are most likely to come into place very soon. Now, Faith, very quickly, we have run out of time, but uh, in terms of uh, the summits that took place and, uh, you know, the, the discussions, uh, obviously, what, where to from now? Um, just wrap it up in, in, in 50 seconds as to what you expect. Are you going to be submitting this to government? Um, what's the way forward after the summit? Okay, so some of the take-home points uh, I would say are that there needs to be an acknowledgement that these issues are not unique to South Africa, um, so they, they can be lessons learned from other countries, and a lot of the issues that refugees and asylum seekers are facing are not unique to them. Citizens are facing a lot of the same issues, so we need to build solidarity on that, and we need to lobby the government um, about these issues because this is an actual serious threat to our constitutional democracy. Faith, thank you so much for joining us. We'll leave it there for now. That's uh, Faith Munyati, attorney for refugee and migrant rights at Lawyers for Human Rights, joining us on the line. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. On the headlines, South Africa's International Relations Minister Lindiwe Sisulu says the country is hopeful that elections will run smoothly in Nigeria on Saturday. Benin's opposition calls on President Patrice Talon to amend the country's electoral code before legislative elections in April. And the Yemeni government forces and Houthi rebels could start withdrawing from the port city of Hodeida within 24 hours. Those are the stories making headlines.
the globe. Every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. A collaborative learning and practice platform aimed at improving healthcare delivery in the world's poorest and most under underserved areas is sweeping across the African continent. The Project ECHO program, launched in 2015, has grown to nearly two dozen programs run by local hubs in 13 countries. The program equips frontline health workers with skills to better combat diseases like tuberculosis and Ebola. For more on this, we are now joined on the line by Dr. Michelle Landiorio, medical doctor of HIV ECHO Project. Dr. Landioroth, good morning and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning. I'm happy to be here. Now, tell us about what this project is about um, and how it works and how it equips frontline health workers to better fight devastating diseases. Thank you for your question. So Project ECHO, which stands for Extension for Community Healthcare Outcomes, really is meant to address the common challenges that we have when there are disparities or lack of access to high-quality care at the right place at the right time. So what we try to do is move the knowledge to local providers rather than having the patients move to a, a city center, academic center for their care. Now, looking at uh, since the launch of the program in 2015 and its growth, to speak to us about how it has grown and how it's doing in some of the African countries where it has been rolled out. So Project ECHO started in New Mexico in the United States in 2003 and expanded throughout the country and now into other uh, countries throughout the world. In Africa, the first ECHO launch was in Namibia in 2015. And now, as you said, there are over 25 programs in 12 countries. And uh, this includes multi-country programs that uh, include uh, examples like the ICAN for infection control. So they discuss outbreak prevention and infection control practices as just one example of those multi-country programs. Now, your expectations by, for the end of the year is that uh, every country on the African continent will be participating in at least one Project ECHO program. Is this achievable? What progress has been made so far? Yes, we believe this is achievable, particularly given the multi-country programs that are really linking different areas of Africa together. Uh, we've had one, uh, our first ECHO replication, so to teach 
teams about the ECHO model so that they can create their own was uh, last year. And this last week we had, uh, in South Africa, we had an immersion training to help teach healthcare teams in Cape Town and this week here in Johannesburg, where we trained over 125 teams. Uh, hopefully that will increase uh, the use of the ECHO model throughout Africa. Let's speak about the response from uh, the health ministries of uh, the countries of the different governments, you know, in the various countries. What's the response been like? And um, in terms of your rollout process, are they receptive? Yes. You bring up an important point, and having the ministries of health uh, and departments of health really invested in this program has been absolutely key, as we've seen initially in Namibia. So initially this was uh, launched by a collaborative including the CDC for initial funding, but the Ministry of Health was involved from the very beginning, and now the funding has transferred to the Ministry of Health about 50% with the ultimate goal of the Ministry of Health taking over the entire project themselves. And what's your plan with regards to your rollout of uh, Project ECHO? Um, you know, is it, uh, are you going to be doing it in the dozens or is it going to be maybe two or five countries at a time until the end of the year where you reach your goal? So we are trying not to tell our partners what, how best to roll it out, but we, we rather uh, give them the information and teach them about the ECHO model and, and ask that they are invested and in that they uh, come up with their own ideas about how best to roll this out. So our, um, we are an all-teach, all-learn, and we, our goal is to democratize knowledge. So that includes the knowledge that we have and the training that we have about the ECHO model. So we uh, give it out to our partners. They can access everything that we have and then launch their own programs. So in order to touch all of the countries in Africa, the uh, most efficient way to do that is these multi-country programs like ICAM and uh, LabCop. Dr. Landior, thank you so much for joining us. We'll leave it there for now. Thank you. And that's Dr. Michelle Landiorio, medical doc- medical director of HIV Echo Project, joining us on the line. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. All eyes are on South Africa's Finance Minister Titumboweni as he is expected to deliver his budget speech in the National Assembly this afternoon. Experts forecast increased taxes as Treasury scrambles to increase revenue in a financially constrained environment. Here's economist Tabilioka with more. It's going to be extremely tough. I mean, Leanne, a few months ago we didn't think that uh, ESCOM would be such a huge problem for the country. I mean, seven units down, the cost increasing. Uh, That means that the National Treasury has had to allocate funds towards ESCOM instead of allocating funds towards other uh, departments like health and education and social services. Um, And this is on top of, we're talking about ESCOM because it's so topical, but this is on top of, you know, a budget deficit of possibly uh, one 
widening of you know to four percent of GDP. This is also uh, at a time where GDP growth is is uh, lackluster. This is also at a time when um, expenditure hasn't you know it's going to be tough because he needs to now allocate expenditure differently from let's say the MTBPS. This is also a time where revenues haven't uh, increased as expected. So we expect around a 10% shortfall in revenue, um, 10 billion shortfall in revenue. And this is because uh, personal income tax, because of e- economic growth being slow, growth in personal income tax has been slow, but also corporate income tax has been slow too because of uh, uh, corporate profits uh, being much lower than expected. Yeah. And, that, and that is, I suppose, the, the idea of having to do so much with so little. And, and yet, the biggest concern are state-owned entities. And ESCOM is just one of many, and that is a very big problem. How do you think he's going to handle the situation of our SOEs? I think that is the big question, and we're all anticipating that. Uh, ESCOM is such a problem that he may move the budget um, uh, and allocate it, or at least move it into the, tr- uh, the national budget. So ESCOM's budget may actually be absorbed by the national budget. The risk there is that it increases the deficit. Uh, but because, you know, let me just show you how important ESCOM is and how big its debt burden is. So ESCOM's debt burden at, um, at about 420 billion rands uh, is almost the same as the sovereign debt before the financial crisis. Wow. And um, ESCOM's debt burden is, the sa- is actually more than the money that's allocated to uh, health and education combined. That is something that I, that I want you to repeat because I want South Africans to hear that because that is where the sin comes in. You know, you talk about a country that desperately needs good education, good schools, children are dying in pit latrines. We've got monkeys literally jumping uh, on hospital beds in, in, in provinces and the most dismal situation. But there is exactly the reason why. Repeat that last sentence one more time. So the, the budget that is allocated towards health and education combined is less than the debt burden, the total debt burden that is ESCOM right now, that it has a debt of uh, 420 billion rands. Yeah. And that hits where... That hits in the hardest place. It really, really does. Now, when you talk about sort of um, government perhaps taking on some of that debt, that doesn't in itself translate into, okay, you take that on, we hand you that junk status. Because the rating agencies are watching now. They are like hawks circling this National Assembly. And if they go and take on more debt onto the government, well, I mean, can we, they can't afford that, can they? We can't afford it, but at the same time, we can't afford to let ESCOM uh, down. We can't afford to not rescue ESCOM. ESCOM is too big to fail. We've heard Minister Province say this, and unfortunately it is something that we have to rescue. At the cost of many other things that we can actually, uh, you know, development, education, infrastructure, health, that's going to be the cost um, of not allocating funds towards what is necessary for the country. We have to allocate it towards ESCOM. And you are right, you earlier said that it's not just ESCOM, it's SAA, it's DENAL, it's SABC as well. So there is a lot of money that is required to save our SOEs. But I think this is all a result of the past nine years, but we have to fix it. It has to be done in order for us to have sustained growth in the next 20 years. So we saw last year, which was received very badly by South Africans, VAT being increased by one percentage point. 
there's no way that the minister can touch that now. I mean, that, that, that's been done. It was a very hard pill to swallow. South Africans are still struggling from that. So um, perhaps my predictions are wrong, but I mean, that, that surely he cannot even look at to try and get some more in. Absolutely not, and unfortunately not, because as I said earlier, personal income tax has not uh, grown as expected, corporate income tax has not increased as expected, and the only one that is left is VAT. And, you know, in hindsight, I actually think that they should have increased it by two percentage points, um, just so that we can have that extra buffer. Remember that we actually increased it to also accommodate the free fees, and now with ESCOM and all these other issues that we're faced with, I think that we could have just taken a bigger, um, bigger, you know, punishment, so to speak. That's South Africa, South African economist Tabi Lioka speaking to SABC's Leanne Manners. Our economics update up next with Tabi Solohoku. Good morning. South Africa's Minister of Trade and Industry, Rob Davies, has described as the signing of a Memorandum of Understanding on Economic Cooperation between South Africa and Mozambique as a key milestone. Davies was speaking at a brief signing ceremony which took place in Cape Town. Mozambique's Minister of Trade and Industry, Ragendra Berta de Sosa, signed on behalf of his country. The objective of the MOU is to provide a broad basis for cooperation between South Africa and Mozambique with the intention to find new approaches and strategies of consolidating, expanding and deepening areas of economic development, investment promotion, industrial, trade and technical cooperation. Ordinary South Africans have voiced out what they expect to hear from Finance Minister Tito Mboweni ahead of his much-anticipated budget speech this afternoon. Many who are unemployed are looking to Mboweni for solutions. The minister has the task of allaying fears of citizens in light of youth unemployment and the financial unsustainability of power utility ESCOM and public broadcaster SABC. Final year mining engineering student Pundulo Matiza. It's important that the minister touches on the uh, issue of job creation. Looking uh, at the fact that I'm a mining engineering student, there's a lot of retrenchment, job cuts in the industry, and all of that. So you want to be assured that there's an opportunity when you leave the school. Zambia's Ministry of Tourism and Arts says that the new flight routes to Lusaka are a sign of increased interest in the country's tourism and business opportunities. It says that the population traveling for business and leisure has increased over time, which is attracting airlines back into Zambia. The ministry also says Zambia is a unique destination because it is at the center sharing borders with eight other countries. Local NGOs in Lesotho will from now on enjoy some exclusive benefits from Standard Lesotho Bank after the two parties agreed on a partnership under the Consumer Value Proposition. The partnership, which has been labelled as the beginning of more good things to come by the bank, has been well received by NGOs, though concerns and recommendations were also put forward by the clients. Standard Lesotho Bank hailed the partnership, saying it will provide a platform where both parties can speak the same language. 
Botswana's macroeconomic outlook remains positive into 2019, underpinned by the anticipation of sustained growth in the mining sector, particularly diamonds as the global economic recovery ensues. Botswana says that the non-sector mining is expected to drive growth largely from the services sectors, as the country is set to go to the polls this year, with general elections marked for October. The U.S. dollar is trading at 360.62 Nigerian Naira, 10.40 Botswana Pula, 99.48 Kenyan Shilling, and at 11.89 Zambian Guacha. In Brex currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 3.72 Brazilian roll, 66.5 Russian ruble, 71.34 Indian rupee, 6.76 Chinese yuan, and at 14.12 South African rand. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 77 pence to the British pound and at 88 cents to the euro. Looking at commodities, gold $1,344, platinum $817 pounds. So the price of brand crude oil is at $66.58 a barrel. I'm Tabiso. A sports update up next with Neto Chimani. Thank you, Lulu. A very good morning to all sport fans. Starting off with soccer news. South African Premiership side Mamelodi Sundowns dropped two, two crucial points in a title race when they were held to a one-all draw against Polokwane City in a league match at Loftus Farsfeld Stadium in Pretoria, the country's capital city, last night. Tembazwane opened the scoring for the home team in the 10th minute from Gustin Serino's assist, but City equalized on the stroke of halftime when Sundowns' usually reliable goalkeeper Dennis Onyango committed a howler from Salulani Pires header. Sundowns coach Pizzo Masimane was a disappointed man after this result. Uh, nothing went wrong, only the mistake that number one in Africa made a big mistake. Then nothing else. Yeah, well, it's a good start, but maybe the, the early lead also made us to play a little bit different, you know. I think we, we, we wanted to, to protect the goal as, as early as possible and um, we let them play a little bit, you know, but also I think they are a good team. Pepe Guardiola says his team needs to be at their very best against Schalke 04 in the Champions League last 16, first leg to get a result tonight. City are top of the English Premier League on goal difference, while Schalke last season's Bundesliga runners-up are languishing in 14th place in the standings. City forward Gabriel Jesus and defender John Stones have missed the trip with minor injuries, as the English champions look to set the foundations for a last eight spot. Guardiola who coached Bayern Munich for three years before joining City, says his team had to stay focused every minute of the game and hopes for one goal away to ease their away to last eight of the competition. Well, I am pretty sure you cannot go through in that competition if you are not yourself. If you expect something is coming from above and you don't do your best performance sooner or later, you will be out, maybe this time, maybe in quarterfinals. If you want to dream a lot, you want to go through in a lot of stages, 
you have to be yourself not just every minute, every single second. You have to be incredible focus in that competition, impose your game, and after we will see. City have won the Premier League three times since the Abu Dhabi United group bought the club in 2008, but have never gotten past the semi-final stage of the Europe's elite club competition. They play Chelsea in the Carabao Cup final on Sunday and have been knocked out in the last 16 three times in the last five seasons, while their only semi-final appearance came in 2016 when they were eliminated by Real Madrid. Midfielder Kevin De Bruyne says it will be nearly impossible for them to win a quadruple of trophies this season. The goal is not to win the four competitions. You know, um, the the goal is to to win every game. And the further you progress, obviously, like if you play on Sunday the game like Chelsea, you want to win the game. And then if you win the game, you win the win the competition. But you cannot set the the, the standards like in the beginning of the year we're going to win four leagues. I think we we're very happy where we where we are. But obviously, we want to progress in in every round. Um, that we, we, we're playing in and that's now the Champions League we want to do well and go to the quarterfinals so we're one step closer to to winning it but yeah to, to set stances to, to win all four that's, that's nearly impossible in rugby news, England's Rugby Football Union RFU have appointed former British Olympic Association BOA head Bill Sweeney as their new chief executive. Sweeney, who has been BOA chief executive since 2013, replaces Steve Brown, who resigned from the RFU at the end of last year after 15 months in charge. During his time at the BOA, Sweeney oversaw Team Great Britain's performance at the Winter Olympics in Sochi in 2014 and in Pyeongchang in 2018, as well as at the Summer Games in Rio in 2016. Before joining the BOA, he held senior roles in sports businesses including Adidas and Puma and gained management experience with Shell, Mars and Unilever. And finally in cricket news, Mark Zuckerman will lead the SA Invitation 11 in a one-day tour match against Sri Lanka to be played in Pinoni, east of Johannesburg on the 28th of February. The SA Invitation site will be coached by Shukri Conrad. Meanwhile, the Proteas will take on Sri Lanka in five one-day internationals that gets underway on the 3rd of March at the Wandara Stadium in Johannesburg. Thank you for choosing Channel Africa. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto and Ito Chemani. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, South Africa remains hopeful that elections in Nigeria will proceed smoothly. And South Africa's ruling ANC to finalize vetting process for election lists. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzora Magadza and Khomuzomopulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. 
For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300327, or tweet us at RiseShineAfrica. Our taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa. It's Casper Yovis with a song titled Titomboe. Young rich nigga, young rich nigga. I made myself a boss, me a sin simmer. Man, you should see my life, figures lit timbers. I used to talk and now I'm talking six figures. Oh boy, I'm G with it. You should probably leave it, girl, if I'm seen with the bitch. Definitely, bitch, they stop on a speed, cause I'm rich. Got a Bentley and a Bentley, major league with the whiz. Woo! Jumping, 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 jumping. You know you rich when everybody say you cousins. And all you just wanna hold your hand in public. But that shit never fly like a DJ Khaled, I'm a problem. No, no, no. I'm a big one. Plus, I'm much as God. A nigga dancing with the real stuff. I'm in DBN. They love the boy like him. I'm being Started at the bottom. Now we fist ain't on some damn stuff. Oh. I'ma get it in trouble with If it's real, then you say it to my face. I'm proud to say my niggas are the same. They relate. We do this for the cake. That's that. You don't go away. You don't go away. You don't go away. You don't go away. You don't go away.